We are in chapter 17 of Numbers. I'm not going to repeat a lot, just a little, except this is part of the same chapter 16, really. But before we start, let's ask God to bless us. Lord, we thank you for the rain. I know it's hard to get around in, but it's wonderful that we have it, and thank you for it. And Lord, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have access to the Bible, that we can balance our lives from all the voices that are coming to us from TV and books and every other place, and we can see what you have to say, and we can understand all that's going around us through the lens of Scripture. We need that. That's why we need to know the Bible, so that we can discern the false from the true. And that's what we're doing in this class. You've told us that the whole Old Testament is for our example. It's our example book. So today, may we find lessons in our own lives from these things that we're going to learn in Moses' day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We saw last week that it was the rebellion of Korah. He was a cousin of Moses, really, and Aaron, but he wanted the priesthood. See, God gave the Levitical priests, they were priests, but they were the servants of the officiating priests, the high priests. But he wanted to be as great as Moses and Aaron. And so it was a rebellion is what it was. And we saw that what God did to them, and if you don't have the tape from last week, because you need to hear that, that we saw that chapter 16 was Korah, the son of Izhar, who was from Levi, and these others two, uh, three fellows from the tribe of Reuben, they were part of this rebellion. They rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders. This was a, a major rebellion. 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy. So they're blaming God's man that God says Moses was the most humble of all people, all men. He said, why do you exalt yourselves above the congregation? And Moses fell on his face. And so he said to Korah, tomorrow we'll show who is holy and cause him to come near to him. And the one that God chooses, he will cause to come near to him and be his ministering priest in the tabernacle. These other fellows, if they went in the tabernacle itself, would die. And so that really tells you a little bit about the holiness of God. We're just like an unclean thing, and we can't come before a holy God unless it's a blood sacrifice. And that's what they had, a blood sacrifice, so that they could approach a holy God. Well, so God had just Aaron and Moses and their family as the ones that could go in and offer the sacrifices of blood and represent the people before God, like Jesus is our high priest that we read. The book of Hebrews is all about these same things in Leviticus and Numbers. And we're going to look at a little bit of it today again, but um, because you can't understand the book of Hebrews unless you have been through the Old Testament. And the more I go through the Old Testament, the more I come into the New Testament and things just open up to me that I wondered about. And I have these CDs here that Andy sent you know, he's, or somebody in the church that just does it out of her love for the Lord. They send out all of his tapes that he teaches at his church to everybody all over the country or the world free. It's like Bob Thiem used to do. But 
If you want to send a little gift, you can to pay for them, but it's free. So any of you can order Andy's, Andy's lessons, but these Ben on John forever, seems like. And some of them are really wonderful. But this, there's this three-part series within chapter 14, In My Father's House Are Many Mansions. And so he said, there's a big controversy. Could this be a rapture passage? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, could that be the rapture? Well, he's now on the third one. I had three of them, and I gave them to Lou. But he brings in so much about the way the church is today. I mean, he just brings in a lot of things that we all need to know. As I listened in the car, kept driving around (laughs) because I wanted to finish hearing it, and I wanted to get them all so I could make you all a copy. But I just learned a lot, and a lot he's talked about, but it's very, very good, and I'd love for you all to have that. And Ashley's telling me she can probably find it online, which you probably can. Go to Sugarland Bible Church. That's in Sugarland, Texas. And all of his sermons are posted there. And you could get these on John 1, 2, and 3. They're within it. Anyway, that's beside the point. I don't know how I got off on that, except that's how we learn so much from the New Testament that he brings into the Old Testament. And he does this. So anyway, we saw then that these rebels, God took care of them. And we said, God lets a rebel go on so long And then he pulls in the tether and he takes action. And this is very severe action because the earth opened up and these rebels went down into the middle of the earth, into Sheol, probably into the saved section of Sheol, Hades, because they were believers. And we know that down in the heart of the earth, and this is the Easter story, really, and the book is supposed to be out by Easter, the new edition. But anyway, down in the heart of the earth, is a place with two compartments. It must be just gigantic. And we've talked about it with Dr. Unger's tapes and uh, his messages on Ezekiel, where Pharaoh and some of the lost leaders of the world empires are down in the lost section. And they're looking across and can see, and like Jesus said in Luke 16, that the rich man was lost and he was in the lost section So when you die, your body is put in a grave or whatever they want to do to it, and your soul and spirit leave the body immediately and go one of two places. Either the heart of the earth for the lost people go to the lost section, and in the Old Testament, the saved people went to the saved section. But since Jesus rose from the dead, he led captivity captive. He led the saved section with him up to heaven. So if I die today, immediately... My soul and spirit will go to be with Jesus. And then when he comes at the rapture, he will bring my soul and spirit and all the others of saved people, and they'll be reunited to the body. No matter where it is, it'll all be dust someplace. could be in the ocean. Who knows? But see, God who threw the earth together in seven days, he can do anything, and nothing's too hard for him, although it would be a very hard thing for any of us to think of even. But he's going to do that. It'll be a mighty miracle when the resurrection happens of the believer. So these fellows went down to the saved section where Jesus was. As Jesus said, I'll be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, just like Jonah was. Jonah was saved. Where did Jonah die in the belly of the fish? Well, his body was there, but his soul and spirit went down to the saved section 
of hell, or Sheol, which is the abode of the dead, both the saved and the lost. That's very important to understand. Otherwise, you just get all mixed up about hell because you realize that that saved people in the Old Testament went to hell, or Sheol. That's the abode of the dead. So that's where these fellows went. The earth opened up, and their children and everything, they went down. So they and all those with them, verse 33, went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the congregation. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. They said, lest the earth swallow us up too. And a fire came out then from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense that shouldn't have been offering incense. They weren't happy with just taking down the tabernacle, taking care of all the utensils, doing all the work of the tabernacle. God said, I gave the Levites to you, Moses and Aaron, to be workers for you, to help you and all, because you're going to be moving. And this is a big job to take these things down and cover them and transport them. And then when the cloud puts down again, then they have to put it up again. It could be every two days or it could be every month. So anyway, the plague came on them too. The next one, here's where we come. Chapter 17, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each of his father's house, all the leaders according to their father's houses, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod. Now, this couldn't have been the same kind of a rod. It's a different Hebrew word than Moses used when he struck the rock with a rod. And the sea opened up and all. That's a different shepherd's rod. This must have been a short rod because one is put up in the Holy of Holies, kept up in there, and it was a small box, the Ark of the Covenant was. So we're going to see that write your name, man's name, on each rod, 12 tribes. You shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Fruit bearing all this in one one night, one process. You know, I see the fig tree out there is just putting forth little leaves now. That pretty soon they'll be bigger and bigger. Then there'll be little green figs later on, but not all at once. See, this is just a mighty miracle of God. Well, it's a God of resurrection. It's another thing that he can do anything. Our God can do anything. And to think that he answers our prayers. It's just so wonderful to think that we can come right before this precious Jesus who's up in heaven who's paid for our sins and we can ask anything according to his will and he'll do it for us we have to be very careful what we ask in our prayers because say if it's your will I was praying if it's your will let this little dog live if it isn't then he will just have to be put down see if it's his will everything if it's his will if it's your will Lord and so It said it sprouted, put forth buds, produced blossoms, and yielded. 
This is life out of death. This was just a dead stick. Imagine that, a dead almond stick. Well, so then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord and to all the children of Israel. They looked, and each man took his rod. They probably, some of them sheepishly took his empty rod, just as bare as it was when he put it in. And so the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their murmurings away from me lest they die. Thus did Moses just as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. And the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? See, they're still grumbling. They still aren't trusting the Lord. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you, you see, you're sinners, but I'm choosing you to serve me in a special way. But you have to come to me a certain way with a certain blood sacrifice. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant, the golden lampstand, the golden table, and then the showbread table, and the altar of incense. They should not come near them lest they die. And you too. As he said, if you let them come, then you'll die too. And they shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Now, when you think that when Jesus comes back, sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem and has a mighty temple there, this same sort of priesthood will be reinstituted and the same sort of things are done they will offer blood sacrifices in memorial for what Jesus did it'll look back to what Jesus did so he said behold I myself have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel they are a gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The Lord spoke to Aaron, Here, I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings. These would be, uh, this is a ritual just for the priest. That he would wave these to offer to the priest. A heave offering. Uh, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. So for Aaron and his sons, these the high priests, they didn't have any inheritance in the land or anything. So the others had to support them. And so that was what this heave offering. They were to help support in every way, and we're going to see how. This shall be yours of the most holy things, reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, and every trespass offering, which they render to me, shall be most holy for you and your sons. See, they could eat them. They could take them and boil them, do the, all the beef and all the 
the lamb and all the goats. So this is yours also, the heave offering of their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. See, there's clean and unclean, and that means holy in the sight of God, clean or presentable. And Bible says that the unclean animal, that we read that in Exodus, had to have a blood sacrifice made for an unclean, like a donkey, or it had to be put to death. Well, are we an unclean thing coming from Adam? Yes. And we have to have a blood sacrifice too. Who was it? It was Jesus himself. All of this is pictured back here in the Old Testament. I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. See, that means that they had brought the proper sacrifice. They were approaching God the right way. All the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, the first fruits which they offered to the Lord, I've given them to you. So the first fruits that came to all the Jewish people were to go to the priests and the Levites and Aaron and his sons. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every dedicated thing, every devoted or dedicated thing in Israel shall be yours. And we know about the dedicated thing. Remember when Joshua was taking uh, Jericho, he said, you can't take anything of the spoil. It's all for the Lord. It's a dedicated thing, in other words. Well, we know that Achan saw a goodly Babylonish garment. He saw it, he took it, and he hid it. And that's how sin works, doesn't it? We see something, well, we may take it, or we take it, and then we hide what we've done. That's exactly, that's the way things work, all with sin. And that's what he did. Well, you can't fool God. You can fool man. You can fool your kids, can fool their parents, and you can fool people, but... You can't fool God. So he brought them all before Joshua. And Joshua said, admit what you've done, please. And it came to the tribe of Judah and came down to Achan. And what have you done, Achan? And he had to say, I, I saw this and I took it and then I hid it under my tent. And sure enough, it was under the tent. And so what did they do? They had to take him and his whole family down and stone them to death in the Valley of Achor. That's what it's called, after Achan. So it was a dedicated thing that they weren't to touch. But so these dedicated things were to be given to the Levites. Every devoted thing, like Jericho was, in Israel shall be yours. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem." So see, God says man is unclean as he comes into the world. He has to be redeemed. And if he isn't redeemed, where does he end up? Down in the lost section of Sheol, Hades. And if he is redeemed, he ends up down in the saved section in the Old Testament. And if it's today being redeemed, we end up right where Jesus is in heaven when we go there with him. So the firstborn of unclean animals and the firstborn of man you shall redeem. So unclean beast and man, they had to be redeemed. And so God is saying that man has to be redeemed. That's what Jesus gives us, redemption through his blood. In other words, brought back to God through the death of an innocent substitute. These animals were innocent substitutes, weren't they? But they 
when their blood was shed, God accepted them in the sinner's place. And they became clean in God's sight after they came to God with a blood sacrifice. It may sound harsh, but that's the way it is, and that's what God has set up, and we accept it or we're a rebel, like these fellows that the earth opened up. I want God to bless me, so I want to do what he says to do as much as I can. Those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old, according to your valuation, for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar. See, they don't have ingrained sin. They're innocent animals. So they aren't sinners by birth. They are holy in God's sight. Uh, clean in God's sight. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord, and their flesh shall be yours, just as the wave breast and the right thigh are yours. So God's going to provide amply for the, the Levites and the Levitical priests so that they would have the best, the first fruits of everything the Jewish people had. So uh, all the heave offerings, the holy things, it's a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. See, we read back in Leviticus 2 that all of their offerings had to be sprinkled with salt. Well, you know, we learn that salt is a preservative, isn't it? And we're told in the New Testament that we're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be the preserving, and that's what believers are, really. The the one thing that keeps this place going, rather than just have it all like Sodom and Gomorrah, it's the believer's. And God sees us and he realizes that we're the salt of the earth. But Jesus said if the salt loses its savor, so evidently salt can lose its savor and not be salty anymore. How can we be salty? By taking this Bible all the way through. Now a salt covenant, if, and they often would do this in traveling, if they made a covenant with each other, two people, they would take a pinch of the salt that they carried and put it in the pouch of the other person. They would change pinches of salt. Well, that would be mixed totally, wouldn't it? Forever. That's a salt covenant. Can't undo it. And so then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion. And we're going to see all the land that they give each of the 12 tribes, 11 tribes. But the one tribe, I'm your portion, God said. The Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting from now on, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering, just presenting it to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of what the Jews give you, you priest, then you offer a tithe of it back to the Lord. 
That's what he's saying. You shall give a heave offering, a tenth of the tithe. And your heave offering, that's where we get the idea you give a tenth. Um, and your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel. And you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. So all the Levites were then to give the tenth of it to Aaron. All of your gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the sanctified part of them. Therefore you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to yours, to the Levites, as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the winepress. You may eat it in any place, you and your household, for it's your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting, for taking the tent down, doing all the work of the tabernacle, but not the offering the sacrifices. That was not their job. And you shall bear no sin because of it. When you have lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. Now then we come to this 19th chapter that is not in Leviticus. We didn't read about the red heifer sacrifice, did we? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law, which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without blemish. This is a female cow without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp. Does that just ring a bell? This heifer was to die outside the camp. Well, we're going to read in Hebrews what the picture of this is. Outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times. Seven is always the number of perfection, directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of this burning animal. It would be a lovely smell, really, beside the terrible burning of the animal. Cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And someplace I read in one of the commentaries that this is where doctors and hospitals got the idea of cleanliness, this water, that water cleanses, and it certainly does. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer. Now, gather up all these ashes and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. See, it isn't mentioned except in this wilderness situation, in the wilderness wandering, when they're wandering in the wilderness. And so it's for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel. Now, when you hear about the priests that have everything in Israel, they think they know who the priests are and they know everything that's going on over there. And they say, we even have a red heifer ready. Well, you know, (laughs) he hasn't come yet. But they say that these ashes could have lasted. They just used a, a tiny bit 
from this whole animal. It could have lasted for generations. Maybe there were in maybe three in all the Old Testament of doing this to the heifer because they didn't use much of it. They mix it with water. Well, we'll see what they did. He who touches the dead body of anyone, how do you know whether you're clean or unclean? And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer, verse 10, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger. If there's a stranger sojourning with you, he does this too. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law. When a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And remember what Jesus said to Peter, if I wash thee not, see, I have to wash your feet, but if I don't wash you, you aren't mine. So you have to be clean. And Jesus said, all you have to do, Peter, is wash your feet. Once you're saved, see, once you're saved, you're washed by Jesus' blood. But after that, we sin all the time, and we need another cleansing, wilderness cleansing. And that's what this picture is. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the congregation because he's defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He's unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews a little bit here. Hebrews 9. We've looked at much of Hebrews about the high priest, but this is in the ninth chapter. Well, I'll start a little bit just so that you'll get the flavor of this. Then indeed, even the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary the tabernacle and the priesthood. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, the holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant on stone. And above it, 
were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing services. But into the second part, the high priest, like Aaron and, and Moses and their family, went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin, committed in ignorance. That would be, you know, in, in, I'm a sinner born in birth. I unintentionally sinned, didn't realize it. But see, but, but you're a sinner anyway and unclean. The Holy Spirit indicating that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So while the first, while the law of Moses before Jesus came on the scene, uh, this is what, how they came and approached him. This is the way Jesus approached uh, you know in the in the new testament he he knew all of this and and only when he rose from the dead did something new start so he said the, the holy the holy spirit indicating that the way into the holiest the way into god's presence was wasn't made manifest while this first tabernacle was still standing only the high priest could go in there but now it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. See, it never cleansed the conscience, those, those blood sacrifices. It took care of the body, but not what you're thinking. And so concerned with foods only and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation, until Jesus came. That's the time of Reformation. Aren't you glad we're this side of the cross? Why would you want to worship in a, in a place where they put themselves back under the law of Moses? Certain things. They don't take all of these things, do they? They just take the things they like in these congregations, messianic, so, so to speak. But notice what it says in verse 11. But Christ came as high priest like Aaron was, of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a red heifer and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies or sets apart for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, not only your body, but conscience, our minds, purge our conscience from dead works, why? To serve the living God. And for this reason, Jesus, he, this Christ who came as a high priest, he is the mediator or the go-between. He's the, our lawyer, our mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called, that means everybody who accepts Jesus as Savior, may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there's a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. In other words, where there's a will, my will isn't of any good until I die. I don't even know if it's good when I do die, but, but if, I, if they can find it. That's what, when my husband died, they couldn't find his will until finally it was under, in piles of, piles of, of 
boxes of stuff under piles of paper. They found it finally. For the testimony is in force after men have dead, since it's no power at all while the person is living. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, Moses took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. We just read that, didn't we? Hyssop, and, and that's what they did when they sprinkled the blood on the door before they left on the night of the Passover. They put the hyssop, and and without shedding, let's see, likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, there's no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. Now, what does it mean, the copies of the things in the heavens? When God said to Moses, I want you to make this tabernacle and build it after the pattern that I gave you of the one in heaven. See, it's a, you make it exactly like the one that's up in heaven. And he said, these copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. That's why the heavenly tabernacle had to have, and the sacrifice had to have Jesus' blood. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, not the Mosaic tabernacle, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Where is he now? In heaven itself, and there he's appearing... He's our high priest. So when the devil says, look what Anne did, and, and Jesus says, leave her alone. I'm her mediator. She's fine. She belongs to me. And if she does anything out of line, I'll take care of it. That's exactly what he says. He's our mediator. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year on the Day of Atonement with the blood of another, every year, over and over, every year. Jesus, if he had to do that, he would have had to suffer often. He'd have had to go to the cross many times, often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the ages, so that's where when Jesus died on the cross, it was the end of the ages started the end of the ages well where are we now we really are near the very end of the ages because uh, i would say adam lived in the beginning of the ages and moses a little further along noah a little further so these ages that's why it's important to know that these different dispensations or ages are very important to understand jesus said in the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin he put away sin by the sacrifice of a red heifer, of a cow, no, of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. That's why it hurts me to see him in churches where he's still on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore, is he? That's why we have an empty cross, because he's not there. Well, I hate to say this, but I will. I <laughs> when Carol and I went to the Passion Play over at Omer, Oberammergau, it was so, I mean, they overplayed the dying on the cross. It was so bloody, so terrible, and just a blip on the resurrection. That's exactly the way that church is. Very, 
soft on the resurrection. And so I left in the middle of it. I couldn't take it anymore and went shopping in the little town. <laughs> and Carolyn followed me because it bothered her too. And at the door going out was a nun handing out the way of salvation. And I looked, I wish I'd saved it. I don't know why I didn't, but it was all works, what you have to do. You know that coming from that church. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. Now that's you and me. He will appear a second time, not to have anything to do with sin. That's taken care of when he died on the cross. But for salvation and all the future things he's prepared for us. And then the law was just a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things. And it can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purged or cleansed would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year for it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Therefore, when he came into the world, He said, and he quotes this from Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you've prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. And I have this in my Easter book. I had to put this part in. In sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, the whole Bible, it is written of me. I've come to do your will, O God previously saying sacrifice and offering burnt offerings and offerings for sin you didn't desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law but he said behold i've come to do your will O god he takes away the first that he may establish the second has god done away with the law of moses for us yes he's taken away that he may establish the second And every priest stands ministering daily back there, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. What did it do to sin in the Old Testament? It covered it over. It atoned for it. Never took it away. But this man, Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Where is he? The right hand of God, seated. There were no seats in the tabernacle or the temple. They never sat down. Their work was never finished. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's eternal security. And the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after that, he said, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. Now he's speaking it to Israel. Someday God is going to put his laws in their hearts and in their minds he'll write them. Then he adds, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He'll forget about Nadab and Abihu and all the lawless things that all of these people in the Old Testament did. He'll forget that. Now back to our passage. Now this next part is uh, the sin of Moses. And actually, after verse 22 of chapter 19, 40 years pass. So in your Bibles, write, 40 years later, chapter 20 starts. So 40 years later, they are on the way now into the promised land. They're journeying up toward 
their inheritance that the Lord has given them. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin. See, after they did all this sacrificing and got everything straight, then God said, okay, now you know how to approach me. You know how to take the tabernacle down. You know how to put it up. You have your high priest that can sacrifice for you to cover your sin. Now, the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there, the older sister of Moses and Aaron. She died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation. Well, there was no water back when they came over to Mount Sinai, was there? But is that any problem with the Lord? There was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together, just like they did 40 years before, against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we died. Now, these aren't their fathers. These are the children of the ones that died in the wilderness because of their rebellion and wouldn't go into the land. And because they took the advice of the ten spies that said, This land is great, but there are giants there. We can't go in there. And so they despised the land. And so God... He said, all right, you're going to die in this wilderness. So all that generation died, and now their children are no different. (laughs) The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, uh, from the root. Now there was no water for the congregation, and the people contended with Moses, if only we died when our brethren died before the Lord, speaking of Nadab and Abihu. Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we had, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to the rock before their eyes, this rock that would not give it any water. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation of their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, I just think, I don't know where this rock is. It's near the promised land, and it's supposed to be, one of the commentaries a craggy place, totally different from the rock that was struck the first time at Mount Horeb. This is a different rock in a different place. They're on the border of getting into the promised land. Speak to the rock. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation, verse 10, together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses, what has happened to the humble Moses? He's probably so furious, and we read later on that they drove him to this. They made him so furious that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. Well, we often do that, too. He said, speak to the rock. So Moses took the rod, and he said, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice. How many times did we just read in Hebrews that the rock, that rock is Christ. Let me read it to you from 1 Corinthians 10, 4, so that you know where it is. You can write it in your Bible, and you can turn there if you wish. Moreover, brethren, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 10 of Corinthians, 
I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, so they were all saved to start out. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, manna. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. All through the Old Testament, he's the rock. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. See, now that's all happened and now we're headed to the land. But these things became our examples to the intent that we shouldn't lust after evil things as they lusted. Don't become idolaters as some of them did. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. We're going to read that in Numbers 21. Nor murmur as some of them murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happen as examples to them, and they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. All temptation, where you see, you take, you hide, is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you, believers, to be tempted more than you're able, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's talking about idolatry. So back here to this part. Moses lifted up his hand, verse 11, struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. See how faithful God is, even though Moses slipped. And the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron as if the Lord said, Come here, Aaron and Moses. I, have a, I want to have a word with you. Because you didn't believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I've given them. Don't you think this was the, the heart desire of Moses from the very beginning? To lead them into the promised land? You shall not go into the promised land. This was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Now we'll stop here and start at verse 14 of Numbers 20. But because of this, there's a lot about this. Romans 6 talks about it. 1 Peter 3. Anyway, he's the rock and he's only to be stricken once and Moses hit it twice. And God in his love and his faithfulness, gave them water, but there was punishment for Moses. It seems harsh, but that was terrible to do because Christ was only to die once. He's the type of that. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Any questions on this? Now we're going to march to Moab, and then we're going to next week see the serpent of brass. I love that. And then how they defeat Sihon and Og, and then the Amorites, and then about Balak and Balaam. Why don't you research where Balaam was really from? Balaam, son of Beor, on the other side of the Jordan, across from Jericho. But Balaam, where was he from? Pethor. Where's Pethor? Down here, verse 5 here of chapter 22, which is near the river. Wouldn't that be the Euphrates? in the land of the sons of his people. Wouldn't that be like he came from Ur, or from the Chaldean? Well, anyway, you might figure it out. There's a lot about it online. Go to Google, push in Balaam. 
We'll see if we can get to the bottom of this. Any question? If not, okay. <laughs>